The John Morris Show, episode 144. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Monday, October 17th, got a new show for you. Hope you had a great weekend. I, my Huskers got a win, so... Uh, squeaked it out over Indiana. So I'm in a good mood this morning. So I had a nice little get together over the weekend. So that was fun. Uh, you have to forgive me a, a little bit if I'm a little giddy in this episode. You know, for you youngins out there, when you get a little older, uh, it's the simple things in life that, that are important. So my wife just texted me right before I jump up, jumped on here and said, Hey, you want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings after she gets off work today. And that's like my favorite place to eat. So I'm excited about going. I was like, of course, yes. So I'm excited about going to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings this afternoon. <laughs> anyway, coming up in this show, we're going to get uh, talk about how to get a client to actually read your proposal. And I'm going to talk about this now. This question was asked in the context of Upwork. and you know, freelancer and all the different freelancing sites that are out there. But I'm going to talk about it in actually three different contexts. So I'm going to talk about that context, but I'm also going to talk about what about on your website, your own website, because it's different. It's a, it's a different way that you're interacting. And so what you do is a little bit different. I'm also going to talk about the third context, which is meeting someone in person or approaching someone in person. So if you're someone who really likes to get into that kind of thing, again, it's a little bit different the way that you go about it. So the overall framework's the same, but the way you implement kind of each step is a little bit different. So we're going to get into that in the bulk of this. Also, I've I've been challenged by one of our one of my listeners uh, on a question regarding JavaScript. So I'm going to get into that a little bit in the question at answer section. So you won't want to miss that. But before I get into all of this, I want to, you know, I like to kind of start off the show talking a little bit, uh, usually refer to maybe something I've set out in my newsletter that I think is important or that has got a reaction. And I want to do that again today. Now, this is one I sent out last week and got quite a reaction to it. And uh, I wanted to go through that with you here today. Now, again, if you're new to the show and you don't know about my uh, newsletter, I send out a daily newsletter. So it's daily tips for your career, coding, etc. Everything re- related to making web development, web design your career. And that's over at johnmorrisonline.com. Right at the very top, you will see uh, a place to to subscribe to that newsletter there. You also get access to my free PHP course when you do that. So Again, just head on over to johnmorrisonline.com and you can get on the newsletter. That's kind of where I send out everything that I'm that I'm up to that you may miss if you only listen to the show or watch on YouTube, etc. So that said, subject of this email was he used to sleep on a bark park bench. And so I, I tell a a story of of someone and that I think is pertinent for all of us. So he began his career as a street entertainer, playing accordion accordion, walking on stilts, and breathing fire to get pie. He was 18, and he just left his home in Canada to hitchhike across Europe. And he spent his first night in London sleeping on a public bench. Today, his room includes a view of that same bench. His company, (laughs) I always say this wrong, Cirque Cirque de Soleil, (laughs) which you have probably heard of, just sold for 1.5 billion and he has an estimated net worth of 2.6 billion. Forbes has him ranked as the 11th wealthiest Canadian and 459th in the world. So how did Guy La Liberté do it? Well, I think this story is a clue. In 1984 after years of performing, he got his big break. He landed a contract from the Quebec government to stage a street show for Quebec's 450th anniversary celebration. And he battled through problem after problem after problem, yet was able to pull it off. Unfortunately, however, with all the issues he had, the performance only netted him about 40000 in profit. 
which for that kind of show really wasn't much and obviously wasn't going to sustain him for very long. But he didn't care. He kept pressing. He began planning his next event, and he signed for almost $1.5 million in contracts before he'd even gotten approval from lenders to cover it. So he signed the contracts for his next event before he'd actually even gone to the lenders and gotten the loans, which is pretty that's pretty risky. So he was able to pull it off in his second season, but his second season ended with him 500000 in debt. But the crowds also loved the shows, and he knew that he was onto something. He believed that he had something. He just had to figure out how to make it work. So he took an even bigger gamble and booked an act for the opening of a Los Angeles art festival. And he said, uh, he said of that particular show, I bet everything on that night. If we failed, there was no cash for gas to come home. Well, it didn't fail. And today, his shows have been seen by over 30 million people from all over the world. In Vegas, his three shows played to 9,000 people per night, equivalent to about 5% of the city's total visitors. So what's the key? What can we learn? What's the key to his success in all of this? In my opinion, it's persistence. He kept chasing what he wanted for, for his life, no matter what. Through the night on the park bench, through the days without food or a place to sleep, through the 500000 in debt, through it all, he just kept chasing it. Now, I bring this up because a while back on my newsletter, I asked everybody there to tell me their story. I wanted to hear more about each of you and what your story is so I could know more about who I'm uh, talking with in detail. And I had hundreds of people respond to that. I still have people responding to that email even today. And as I've been making my way through reading all of them, I see that there are a number of you, and, and this is probably true of those some of you listening to this right now, there are a number of you struggling right now. And I can hear the desperation and the thoughts of giving up in your words. And I want to be the one to tell you, if you have nobody else telling you this, because I know how it is. You know, most of the people in your life are probably telling you, you know what? You should quit. You should give up. You should be realistic. You should do something that makes sense. Or you should do what the family's always done. I, I always, <laughs> uh, I've talked about this before, but with my ex-wife, it was always I should do what her dad did. I should have him teach me his craft and, and get into that because he made a bunch of money doing it. Well, I didn't want to do that. That's not what I want for my life. So I, I know how it is. You there, there, There's a good chance that if you're not having success with something that isn't, is maybe a little bit out of the norm of what everybody else around you is doing or what society expects of you. There's a tendency for your families who are well-meaning but there's a tendency for your family and friends to tell you to be realistic, to give up. And I want to be the one to tell you, don't listen to those people. Don't give up. Keep going. Because what matters is persistence. What matters is that you keep fighting for what you want. And if you do, it will happen. Now, for those of you who are still getting through the tech side of things, a moment will come when the technical coding side of it will just suddenly click for you and your confidence will just raise and swell and you'll know there'll be a moment where you you sit back and you realize, I got this. I I understand now. And then it's just a matter of you know fine-tuning some skills and maybe learning a few more things. But you, you understand that you have your head around it and you got it and you're confident that well, I can learn whatever I need to learn. Now, for some of you, it may feel like that day will never come, but it will. For others of you, it may feel that that day has probably maybe come and gone. And now you're struggling with the career side of things, struggling to get your career in order, to make a livelihood doing this. And I want to tell you, again, keep fighting. Keep learning, keep growing, and a moment will come when you're presented with your big break. Your job in that moment is to seize it, to grab hold of it, and never let go, just like Guy did. Now, on a side note, if you ask me, learning PHP is one of those opportunities. 
BHP is what took me from a fry cook wallowing in grease eight to 10 hours a day to a full-time web developer working from home, homeschooling my kids, working on projects I want to work on, doing what I love, not feeling like I'm really working. It's what took me from slaving away, making my arrogant boss rich, to being free and building my own quote-unquote empire. It's what bought my house, my car, and puts food on the table for my kids. It's what has changed my life. And I believe that it could do the same thing for you. Despite what people might say about PHP being dead, or again, a little interesting side note here. A lot of people ask me about the future of PHP, right? Oh, PHP is going to be dead in five or 10 years or this, that, the other. I don't believe that, first off. But I'm more concerned about the present of PHP or any language, right? I'm more worried about what I can do with it now. And right now, I don't think there's any. I I have people who love to tell me that Node.js has taken over. Yet I look at the numbers and it's like 0.2% market share. And we're starting to see the articles come out of, well, is Node.js going to tailor off? You know, it had really massive explosive growth. I get that. But now we're starting to see it kind of taper off a little bit. Is it, Now we're going to start getting the articles, is Node.js dying, etc. So it, it's, it, I think it's a fool's game a little bit to try and predict with certainty where things are going to go. You always have to keep your head up and pay attention. But to try and predict and like put all your eggs in one basket on something you predict about the future, I think is a little bit of a fool's game. Instead, I'm more concerned about right now. And right now, there's still a very, very lucrative market out there for PHP developers. So uh, despite what all of those people might say and all the naysayers out there, I still believe that PHP is one of the best opportunities out there for you. Now, yes, it takes work. But in my opinion, it's worth it. And ultimately, the sky is the limit. And at the very least, it's a good gateway language, so to speak, out of if you're working some job that you hate like I was, you know, it's a good gateway language out of that and into an IT career, right? Because there's so just right now, there's just so much more opportunity and the barrier to entry is a lot lower because it's a little bit of an easier language to learn. So you can get yourself out of that. And yeah, maybe you won't make as much as a Node.js developer. But chances are you probably make as much, if not more, than what you're doing now. And now you're in the IT field. And then once you're in it, if you want, decide, okay, I want to do something else. I want to do something more. And I want to learn this language or that language or whatever. Then you can do that. But you already have a foundation of understanding programming in general. You know, Maybe you've built up some clients or you've gotten into started networking, built up some relations. You have that in place. And you're in an IT field. And so now it, it's not just completely wholly separate from what you're doing at your regular job. So again, at the very least, it's a very good gateway language out of something you hate into an IT career. So I think it's, again, very, very worth it. And I think the sky's the limit with it. So anyway, if you'd like to get started and you'd like to take advantage of that opportunity now in the present, then I want to encourage you to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash php and enroll in my PHPO, PHP 101 course. In my opinion, it is the real kind of, it's an effective first step towards the life that you've always wanted, towards chasing that dream like Guy did. And the nice thing is it won't put you 500000 in debt to do it. All right. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to get into how to get clients to actually read your proposal. I'm going to go through my three-step framework, and I'm going to run through some examples for the different scenarios that you might encounter as a freelancer or slash web developer, etc. And then the last segment, of course, we're going to get into your your questions. I've got a challenge from uh, one of our listeners, so we're going to get into that. You're listening to The John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. You know, it's kind of funny. Every time someone uh, joins my email list, I ask them a very specific question. I ask them, what would you say if I could, if I told you I could teach you how to master PHP 
in the next few months? And I get a lot of interesting answers. Now, I get a lot of people who, you know, they say, sign me up. Where do I start? Let's do this, right? I get people who are a little more skeptical who say, um, it would depend on the details, you know, if it costs, what it costs, etc. And then I get people probably on the most skeptical end who are like, well, what does it exactly take to master PHP? And all these are really great questions. Now, let me ask you this, since you're here listening. What if I told you that you could get started learning everything that you need to know to master PHP, all the foundational skills that are necessary to move you out of maybe that job that you're working right now that you don't really like and just get yourself into an IT career. Oftentimes, people do it making more than they were making before. But even if you could just make the same and start doing it in an IT career as opposed to like I used to do, which was wearing my little chicken costume walling around in Greece all day cooking chicken, imagine if you could learn what you needed to learn, get the foundational skills you needed to start that process all for just seven bucks. What would your answer be? I hope your answer would be a resounding yes, because I know I'm going to go all keep off my grass old man on you, but I remember what it was like when I was coming up and the option to get all of that training in one place simply didn't even exist at that time, unless you wanted to read through a 500 page PHP manual, which I didn't want to do. But today, not only is that option available, but it's only going to cost you seven bucks to get started. So if you're someone who's serious about learning PHP, about making a career in the IT industry, about getting out of whatever you're doing now that you might hate and getting into the tech industry, you don't have to be a PHP coder forever. That's the thing. You can, If you want to get into all the fancy new stuff, Node and Python, and well, Python's not new, but Django and all this other stuff, all these frameworks and everything that's out there, that's fine. But one of the fastest ways to get out of where you're at now and into a an IT career is through PHP because it's simply the most popular server-side backend language that you're going to find. The job opportunities are huge, and there's companies that out there that are just starving for PHP developers. Clients out there starving for people who can create PHP applications. So again, if you're someone who's serious about making that happen, then I want to encourage you to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com php. You can start taking module one of my PHP course for just seven bucks. So today, skip the latte from Starbucks. Head on over to johnmorrisonline.com php. And let's get started with your PHP career. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. This segment, I'm going to be getting into how to get clients to actually read your proposal. So, you know, I've talked a, a little bit about writing your proposals, working on your profile, etc. But, you know, if nobody, if nobody's reading your proposals, then it really doesn't matter much. And so I want to get into the approach that I take to this and I want to cover it. I want to cover the framework that can be applied in multiple different scenarios. And then I want to get into some specific context and talk about how you would kind of fit and maneuver this into different scenarios. And then I want to run through an example. So I want to really try to nail this down for you uh, and, and really kind of uh, knock it out of the park for you. All right, so the the framework, really the framework is about being helpful, genuinely helpful. And I, so I first learned this, or I first kind of started thinking about this, watching a video that it was actually selling a supplement. So you, you probably heard of the category of supplement called probiotics. And there was a probiotic that came out a few years ago and for a lot of people was kind of the thing that really sold them on probiotics because when that product came out the the creators of it created this video that went along with it and it was like this 30 30 40 minute sales video that ex really kind of positioned and explained what pro probiotics were and why someone should use them but 
the video wasn't kind of your typical sales pitch. It was really more of an informational type sales pitch. It talked a lot about the the science, but in an entertaining way. It talked about how uh, some of what has happened with the government and our food, food recommendations and going from fats to sugars and really uh, was really kind of explained this whole process and gave a history of it. But again, it was in a it was a fun kind of entertaining video that really caught your attention and sold you on the idea of pro just the idea of probiotics in general. And then, of course, they pitched their product at the end. And when I watched this video, I was really kind of into getting studying marketing and so forth very heavily. And so I was really kind of watching it from that perspective. And it really struck me how they spent probably the first 20 to 25 minutes of the video, they didn't mention their product once. They were telling the story of the category of the product and why you would want to buy this this. Uh, kind of product at all why would you would even want a pro a probiotic in the first place and it was really really informational in fact i was able to listen to an interview of the guy who created the video afterwards and he talked about the fact that they uh, they had doctors and they had all sorts of people like the video was just getting shared virally when they released it they started they put it up they were, uh, ran a few ads to it and then it just got started going viral and people started sharing it. They had doctors and all sorts of health professionals and so forth sharing it and not even realizing, even Joe Rogan even shared it and talked about it on his podcast. And a lot of them didn't even realize that there was a pitch at the end. Like Joe Rogan didn't even realize that there was a pitch at the end of it. And so it was just, just completely went viral. And I was able to listen to the interview afterwards, and he said that his whole approach, his style of what's called copywriting, the way he had learned how to do it was trying to create a, a uh, sales message, a piece of copy or a video or whatever that is valuable in and of itself, that people will want to read it, not just to decide whether they want to buy something or not, be because there's actual genuine value in it and something unique that they're not going to find scattered kind of all over the web. And so his whole approach was just trying to be helpful and informational and then kind of selling and also positioning then uh, his product to be sold at the end of it. And, you know, he talks about some of the numbers they did, like the first run they did, they sold out in like a couple hours and then they beefed up the amount of the supplement that the factory was making or the manufacturer was making and probiotics because of what they are you know they're a live live kind of culture they can take months to create and so forth so uh they had limited runs of these but every time they they would start running ads to this video they would sell out and they were doing millions and millions of dollars of the supplement that they had just launched and so uh again it really struck me that approach to it and i started kind of thinking that way in terms of how I interacted with clients and and job proposal or, or project proposals and so forth. And so that's where this framework kind of comes from. And so the, this is a three-part framework. And the first step in the framework is just to start a conversation. And so your goal is to just get them talking to you. And all you're really after at this point, the very first, the very first thing, whether it's on Upwork, you're talking to someone in person, even just your website. The only thing that you care about initially is attention, is getting their attention and getting them engaged with you in some sort of conversation. So uh, if you're over on Upwork or a freelancing site or wherever, this should be really, really laid back and really try to be informational. And genuinely try to be helpful. You know, you're not trying to pitch them or sell them or at anything at this point. The first thing that you're trying to do is just to simply start a conversation. Uh, it reminds me when I used to sell shoes. You know, the first the the we were we were trained and drilled in this. When I became a manager, I drilled this into my uh, salespeople and the people who did this well were the ones that had a lot of success. And that was when someone came into the store, we were a mall store. 
So we got a lot of people that were just walking around browsing. They may see our store and kind of walk in. The very first thing that you were trying to do, it wasn't, you weren't trying to sell them shoes right off the bat. In fact, we had a rule, which was never sell from the wall, meaning we had our shoes up on the wall. You would never pull a shoe down from there while you're standing with the person and try to sell the shoe to them there. The very first thing that you wanted to do was to get them to sit down in one of our chairs. Once we had them sat down in the chair, then we had their attention. Then we could we would quickly get their shoes off of them, and now they're here to stay for a little bit. I have their attention. I have a conversation created. So we always talked about slamming people in the chair, meaning not physically slamming them, but getting them in the chair as quickly as possible. People who did that well uh, in our store, store sold very, very well, and it was the first really critical skill that we taught salespeople uh, because now again, you just have their attention. You've opened the door and now you can get into your pitch a little bit. So the very first thing that you want to do is, is essentially slam them in the chair. You want to create that conversation, get their attention. The way that you do that is just kind of be helpful. And we'll, we'll talk about some specific ways that you can do that in, in just a second here, but I want to get over, get through this framework real quick. All right, the second thing is to establish authority. So once you have them talking, now you want to demonstrate what you know, that you're an expert. And again, this is done simply by being helpful, giving them broad solutions to their problems, pointing out things that they may not have noticed or thought of. And you, you don't want to do it in an accusatory or degrading way. You just want to be, just focus on being really helpful. So again, going back to the shoe selling example, once we got someone in the chair, there were a couple things that we did to establish authority. The very first thing and probably the most important thing that we did is we would measure their feet. Now, the reason we did that is because there were a couple reasons. One, we knew that every other shoe store that they would go to in the mall, nobody would do that. Probably most shoe stores that they would go anywhere wouldn't do that. They wouldn't measure your foot. And the size, it's kind of funny, but with people, the size of their shoe is kind of a it's kind of a sticking point and people can get caught up on it and so we wanted to establish who was the authority so we would measure their feet and we would tell them what size they were instead of asking them if you ask them you automatically put them into kind of the authority position we would instead measure their foot and we would tell them what size they were and then we would measure their arch length and so Sometimes you would have people who would wear a size nine shoe, but if you, when you measured their arch, their arch would actually measure, say, a size 10. Okay, so a, a size nine shoe that would actually fit their foot correctly would feel funny in their arch. And so there, that, we would do, we would do that and we would point that out to people. And there were so many people like, you know, I've never even had someone measure my foot, A. And B, I've never had someone talk about the arch length. I don't even know what that means. And so then we would explain it to them. And now you are in the authority position. Okay, a couple other things that we would do is if they had shoes on, we would take their shoes and we would we would clean their shoes for them using one of the cleaners that we had. Again, that did a couple things. One, it established, again, more authority that we knew shoes really well. This cleaner for this shoe, here's why exactly exactly and so forth so we're we're just showing how knowledgeable we are we're not telling them we're demonstrating it and then it also would set up for later when we were going to pitch those same cleaners to them they would see us clean their shoe and they would be like wow that's so much cleaner what is that stuff and it'd be such an easy sell later i don't know how many times i had people come in wearing white shoes that were dirty and they'd be there to pair, buy a pair of you know casual shoes like brown shoes or black shoes or whatever and while they were walking around trying on shoes, I would be cleaning their white shoe and they'd come back and go, oh my gosh. And so they would buy the shoe, the, the brown shoe, but then they'd also buy the cleaner for their white shoes, not even for the shoe, brand new shoe that they bought. Like that happens so many times. So again, it just establishes authority. It, they, they feel appreciative because you've cleaned their shoes. So they they create some liking between you and them. And Again, it just establishes or deepens that relationship. So that's what you want to do. Step one is get their attention, create a conversation. Step two is establish authority and kind of start building a relationship. And then step three is to persuade them. So 
at the end when you when you're doing all this you want to transition finally into your pitch and it should fit with the general mold of after you've gone through and talked about their website and you've explained things to them pointed things out to them that you know maybe they hadn't noticed or you've addressed problems that they've brought up and you've just generally had a conversation where you've demonstrated your knowledge then at the end of it your pitch is easy and it fits the general mold of hey so i got to run but if you don't want to do all the all of this yourself, then I can help. And I'm a big big advocate of always selling sell walking away. And what I mean by that is you don't you 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 start to move away from the conversation yourself as if you're leaving and make your pitch as you're leaving. So you have this great conversation with you and say, Oh, by the way, you know, I gotta run, but hey, if you don't want to do this all yourself, you know, get in touch with me and we can figure it out or whatever. The reason that I I like that is be uh, I like that approach is because one it makes the pitch come off as very nonchalant and so they don't feel sold. And then B, you know, you're kind of taking yourself away. You're you're acting like it's not that big a deal if you get their business. And so it it makes you not come across not over eager. Because when someone is over eager, if you're over eager, the person you're talking to will believe that you're just saying whatever to get them to 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 do business with you. Whereas if you're walking away nonchalant, like, hey, whatever, if you hire me, whatever, they're like, oh, man, this person doesn't even seem like they want my business. I guess they must be telling, you know. So it creates that kind of dynamic where you come across not salesy at all. So that's that's the approach I like to take in the persuade part. And the persuade part, I always keep really, really simple. Right? It's just, hey, we've had this great conversation. If you want me to do this for you, just get in touch with me. But I got to run. All right, so those, those, that's the framework. Create a conversation, establish authority, and then persuade them. You can't persuade them if you haven't started a conversation, if you haven't uh, established authority. So those first two parts, when we talk about how to get someone to actually read your proposal, those first two things are the important parts. The third part then is that obviously your proposal. Now, I want to talk about some specifics here, and I want to talk about th- kind of three different contexts that we can do this. So, the first one I want to talk about is in person, and I want to talk about this because I don't think a ton of people really think about this. But this is an approach that you can take that there's probably not a lot of people in your area, especially web designers, developers that are doing this. But you can approach local businesses in your area. So you can go to their website. Let's just say you're going to, okay, I'm going to go look at some automotive websites or real estate websites or whatever. And you go to these websites and just as an example, let's say you find out that, okay, there's this one where their site's not mobile responsive. Now you and I know that that's a big problem. They probably know that that's a big problem. And so we all kind of know that something needs to be done about it, but nobody's pushed the issue. A good example I like to use is, uh, uh, we had a hailstorm here uh, just a few months ago, or several months ago now, I guess. And I've known I've known that there was some beginnings of some hail damage on my roof, and I needed to get my roof replaced. And I'd had somebody come and look at it, and they did an estimate or whatever, and then they just left. They never really kind of pushed the issue or gotten back in contact to, with me or anything. They never tried to. They they did the first two parts of the framework, but they really never did the third part. They never did the persuade part. And so I just never, I kind of forgot about it, never got around to it. And then I had someone stop by the house and they, again, did the kind of the exact same thing, except when they were done, they said, hey, we're going to put a book together and I'm going to show you all of the pictures and can I come back tomorrow and show you all of this stuff? And so they did that. They put this book together of all the pictures that he had taken up on the roof, came back the next day, showed it all to me, and then had a little sales presentation where he said, look, this is what it'll be like in two to three years. This is why we need to get fixed. This is how all the insurance stuff worked. Like answered all of my questions. And then I submitted a claim right then and there. And uh, they're going to come in and uh, fix the roof. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there who or web developers out there who uh, don't realize that you know if you kind of take the initiative with your clients, you can you can have a lot of success and 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 get clients much easier, especially in person, 
then it takes on the web and uh, freelance sites and so forth. So again, as an example, let's say you're going to approach a local business whose website hasn't been updated to be mobile responsive. So the first thing you want to do is you want to research the website beforehand, look at it, and kind of get a feel for the people, and then develop some simple mock-ups. Now, when I say this, a lot of people go, oh my gosh, there's going to be so much work for every person that I do this for. Not really. If you kind of develop a framework and a, a way of doing things, you know, developing some simple, I'm not talking super in-depth necessarily, but develop some simple mock-ups for their website that show them what you could turn it into. You really need to have that if you're going to approach someone in person. You need to be able to show them and not talk in vagaries, but actually give them specifics and say, this is how I would build your site. Now, they may not necessarily 100% go with what you've done, but showing that initiative and, and showing them that you've already kind of done the work and giving them some idea of the end goal is a huge advantage for you. All right, so search, uh, research the site beforehand and have some mock-ups in hand. And then you can do this over the phone or you can walk in really kind of whatever you're most comfortable with. But when you get on the phone or you get someone to talk to about it, you can say something like, hey, I noticed your website looked a little off on my phone. Have you been considering updating it or, or getting it updated to be mobile responsive? Nine times out of 10, they're probably going to say, yeah, you know, we want to, we just haven't had time, you know, we've been, or we've been trying to save up or whatever. They just haven't got around to it. Nine times out of 10, that's probably what they're going to say. Now, it's actually better for you if they say, oh, what do you mean? I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Because you can then bring up the their website on your phone and show them. And now you've the, you're the one that's introduced the, the problem to them. That establishes a ton of authority for you, showing them something that they hadn't known about their business before. And especially if you have some of the mobile statistics on hand where you can say, you know, this is a problem because, you know, 50% of, of people that are going to come into your store will search for your site online first. And if they see this, there's a good chance that they're going to probably find someone else whose site looks better because this kind of s speaks to your quality and, and, and so forth. Even if it's not true, it, 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 it's, it gives them an impression of you and, and this isn't a good impression. But nine times out of 10, they'll probably know. They'll say, I've had time to get around to it where we want to, but we just we haven't got around to it. Now, what you say next is very important because you need to be able to address and talk about the problem with them without them feeling attacked. So something like, okay, you know, that's cool. Uh, you know, there it's, it's smart of you to, to know that a lot of the web developer, a lot of business owners that I talk with and so forth don't even realize that their sites aren't, aren't mobile friendly. So it's good that you know that then you can go into, well, the thing is I was looking at it and I, by the way, I'm a web designer here in wherever you live. And I whipped up some mock-ups of what I could make your site look like and how it could actually work on mobile and tablet and so forth. And I was just calling or stopping by whatever you're doing to see if I could show them to you real quick. I just wanted to show you what they could look like. And I think we could rework your site, uh, make it you know, function a lot better on mobile and do it pretty quickly and at a reasonable rate. Now, and again, you can feel free to, to look at that verbiage and kind of tweak it for what makes sense for you, what fits your natural voice and so forth. But the, the, the point here is, is to have those mock-ups and to address it to them and say, hey, I just want to show you these mock-ups real quick of what it could look like. I want to give you an idea of what it could look like. Now, this isn't going to work 100% of the time, but it's a gentle way of opening that door, of starting the conversation with someone. You have to realize local business owners are busy, so they're not going to want to beat around the bush most of the time. They're not want to sit and have a conversation with you. They want to get down to the point of the conversation. And this is a way of doing that, but in a way where it kind of opens the door for them to then kind of just hit you with all of the reasons why they haven't done it and, and create the conversation for you to go through with them. So someone who wants the work done will probably take a work look at those mock-ups because they probably had people approach them before and those people didn't have mock-ups or 
they've thought about doing it and looked up people, but they just couldn't imagine what their site would look like. You having those mock-ups to show to them is a, is a, is a big thing. And at the very least, the value for them will be, hey, I can get some ideas of what it might look like. Now, if they actually decide to go through with it, chances are they're going to go with the person who created the mock-ups. And so, again, that's when you can then move into establishing authority, answering any questions they have, and move into the persuasion side of things. So that's an example of doing it in person. Uh, taking a look at doing it on your website. So, again, you have to understand that on your website, it's a little bit different context from in-person or a freelancing site. Because on your website, they've likely sought you out. So you have an advantage. You have their undivided attention. They're looking just at you. And there's not a 100 other developers out there. They're not at work and trying to get back busy, trying to get back to work. So you have their undivided attention. So the thing to do here is what I call your best before and after story. And so you want to take a client that you've worked with in the past, if you have, um, and you want to talk about the story of what happened with that particular client. Now, again, I know that some of you may not have that. Uh, in that case, then, you know, it, it would behoove you to find a client that you can do work for free or low cost to get that story. Um, but again, you know, this, I, I want to talk about the ideal way of doing this. So this is the ideal way. The ideal way is, again, to have a before and after story. So example I would use is uh, one of the clients that I worked with was a guy who's executive director at Inc. Magazine. I don't think he's with them anymore. But uh, he, they were kind of, he was working in tandem with them. I'm not exactly ex sure the, the the relationship. I know he worked for them. I don't know if the membership site was considered theirs or not. but uh, again, it had the ink logo on it and so forth. So anyway, he was trying to build this membership site. Um, and he had spent two years trying to build this membership site. He'd worked with several other developers and ran into all these problems. And so by the time I got to it, he was really frustrated and was kind of seeking out like the experts on using, and in this particular case it was WordPress and the plugin Wishless Member, which was a plugin that helps turn WordPress into a membership site. And so I was able to build the site that he wanted for him in about a month. It got the bait out the door uh, and he was really, really happy. So for me, that's a really powerful story. So on my website, instead of saying on my services page, instead of saying something like why you should hire me at the top or whatever, it, it would be better for me to talk about this story because it gives people an insight into why they should hire me. So I wrote kind of a, a sample headline. So the headline I, I wrote would be, Inc. Magazine spent you, two years trying to build a membership site. They hired me and I had it done in a month. Here's how we did it. Now, for someone who's trying to build a membership site, that headline would be very compelling. It's a company name that they probably recognize. It's the store it's talking about how they hired me and then it has an informational kind of tone at the end because i said here's how we did it and so then i would move into telling the story of what happened with that project and positioning it in a way where the way i approached doing the product the project was better and why i was able to get it done in a month when other developers had failed and it had been 2 years and so forth there's probably something that I did that was different from those other developers or something about me that was different than those other developers. And that becomes the here's how we did it, the informational part. Oh, and by the way, it's selling me and my services. So I would tell the story. When I got done with the story where all of those differences were kind of talked about, not necessarily specifically pointed out, but they were talked about, then I would get done and specifically highlight them and say, Here's why I was able to do it when other developers weren't. And then I would go through a list of like bullets that outlined essentially why I'm a better fit for the, their project if they're using these specific technologies than, than somebody else. And I've already illustrated, given a compelling example of that with this story. From there, once you go, go through why you're better, 
then you just can go right into what you offer. Here's what I offer. These are the packages that I have available, how much each package is, and here's how to get started. It can really be as simple as that. But the most important part of this, in my opinion, is the story part of it. The story is what really does the selling. Uh, and so you want to have your best before and after story. But again, it's a way of the story is a way of starting a conversation, of getting attention, right? You're not just going right into selling them. You're creating, you're, you're telling them a story. Now on a website, you can't have the back and forth. So the conversation part of it is hard, but telling a story is the next best thing. You get their attention and through that story, you're establishing credibility, you know, and you're showing why maybe you're a better fit for their project. And then you go into your pitch. Right then, a th the the final context then is on a freelancing site, and so I actually have an example here uh, that I'm going to go through on Upwork, and the title of this project says web page development. And so I'll read kind of the project to you. It says, "I'm redesigning my web page. I'm changing the content, and will later change pictures. I need member login page, but that member login page." Member and members only need to be able to view training videos. I need a page that members can pay membership fees. I want someone that is creative and able to give ideas and not just wait for me to always give step-by-step -step instructions. Okay. So it's a fairly short description. I mean, this is a job that maybe I wouldn't even necessarily bid on depending on what's all available. But I do think it gives a good indication of how you can take what they say in a project and use that to your advantage. So again, uh, the thing that the first thing that you want to do in order to create that conversation is you want to search for problems they're having or solutions they're seeking. So you want to read through this and kind of get an idea of what trouble they're running into or what solution they're ultimately seeking and in a way that you can provide information that will be helpful to them. And so you know you want to provide little tidbits of information and what I like to do is for something like this to to in my first kind of submission for a proposal or um, some of these you can message them and so forth but whatever way that you're going to go about responding to this um, I, I like to provide especially something vague like this provide just a little tidbit of information so what you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to spend 20 minutes writing this big long thing and then have them not respond to it that is a waste of time so you want to kind of pick out one small thing that you can attack here. So you say, they say, I need a page that members can pay membership fees. Well, nowhere on here does it talk about what technologies they want to use, if they want to use some existing, you know, CMS, if they want to use some existing software, etc. And so that's kind of an alley into it. I might write back to this and, and ask the question, hey, saw the per, uh, job description, wanted to ask, are you currently using or wanting to use a particular uh, technology or you know membership site software? Are you open to whatever? You know, if if you are, I would recommend maybe trying to go with something like WordPress and then the plugin wishlist member. And I would go into my, I would explain why I would use those technologies and try to give them some information. And then maybe say at the end of it, say, you know, if not, you know. Uh, you know, these are some other good options out there that you can use for membership site software. I like these because of X, Y, and Z. Just give them a little, and I'm not saying you go into some long detailed thing. I mean, just briefly cover the, the top part of it and provide information. And what's going to happen is they're either going to respond or they're not. And if they don't, you move on. You don't even waste your time bidding on that project because you know that if they're not responding to your legitimate question and information, if they're not responding to that, chances are they're not going to respond to anything else. If they do hire somebody, they're just going to pick the lowest bidder. Why waste your time? So uh, on the other hand, if they do respond, then you've now created the conversation. They'll answer your question, maybe give some details, and then you can kind of keep going and uh, provide information and ask a question, provide information and ask a question, provide information, ask, always kind of soliciting a response from that and keep that conversation going. The, the, the key thing to keep in mind here is that familiarity breeds trust. So the more you go back and forth with them, 
the more familiar they're going to get with you and the more they're going to just naturally start to feel a level of trust for you. That's the whole point of the conversation. And then throughout it, you're also establishing authority because you're really knowledgeable on this topic area, providing them with a ton of information. And then after a while, when you feel like, okay, I feel like I'm at a point where, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deepen this relationship anymore. They're either going to hire me or they're not. Then that's when you can say something like, well, Hey, it's nice, been nice chatting with you. I have to get back to some other, some of my other clients, but I put in a bid for your project. You know, if you'd like me to just do everything that we've been talking about for you and handle all this for you, then uh, just go ahead and let me know. But hey, no worries if not. Right. So you're, you've now made your pitch that says, Hey, hire me. And you've done it walking away. And then they're either going to hire you or they won't. Now, the reason I like this approach is twofold. One, I do it in the context of I've done a video on this past about how you search for jobs on Upwork. I don't just go applying for a hundred jobs a week. That's not my goal. I start out very specific, the best quality jobs. And the reason I like this approach is because when you bid on those really high quality jobs, the ones that are, you know, they're they're paying $3,000 or $5,000 or $10,000. And it's a client who's hired, you know, 10 people before, 10 plus people before, and they have a really good um, client history. And, you know, just the, it's the perfect match for the skills that you have and what you do and so forth. Like it's the perfect project. It's worth spending time on those. And a lot of those projects don't get people who do what I just did. And for someone to spend that amount of money that someone who's really savvy and knows what they're doing, they're, they're going to be attracted to that approach. Now, the low, people who lowball constantly and just look for the lowest bidder all the time and don't even care what the, the developer's job history is and they're trying to pay just as little. Yeah, that, this approach isn't going to work as well with them. But that's kind of the point. It helps you very quickly weed out the good clients from the bad clients. And so, again, I really like this approach because when you throw that first tidbit out, if they don't respond, I don't even bother. Uh, you know, so it just helps me to move on really quickly. If they do respond, then that gets me in the door and I create an experience that's probably in like, unlike any other they're having on the site with any other developer. And it really sets me apart and makes it a lot easier to land those really big lucrative jobs. All right, so those are the that's kind of the framework. Those are the 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 three different kind of contexts and ways that you can implement it. Again, you know, ultimately it it's it's on you to get creative with this and 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 implement it in ways that make sense for you, but I really believe creating that conversation, establishing authority and then persuading them is the way to go in getting people to actually read and pay attention to your pitch and your proposal. If you just go on full sales mode proposal, why I'm the greatest, etc., then chances are uh, they've probably heard that a hundred times before and they're less likely to really be engaged in it, to read it, or, or to be affected by it. All right, coming up in the next segment, we're going to get into your questions. We're going to get into the challenge that I've been issued by... Uh, one of our our listeners, and I'm gonna hopefully answer the call or answer answer the bell here. All that coming up after the break. You're listening to John Morris Show, JohnMorrisOnline.com. You know, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot of developers make is they make learning how to code much harder than it has to be. For example, I see a lot of developers who think the list of skills that they need to learn to master PHP is pages and pages and pages long. It's not. Now, I've said this before, and I will definitely say it again, but there's a foundational set of skills that you need to learn in order to be functional as a PHP developer, meaning that you can execute on projects and get paid. This is the fallacy that is so prevalent in the PHP developer community that there's this ideal set of skills that you have to learn and that you have to be the absolute greatest developer in the history of mankind in order to be able to get paid to code. You don't. You simply need to be able to execute on projects. I talk about end results all the time. You need to be able to deliver end results to clients because that's ultimately what they want. 
But when you focus on these found foundational skills and learning only those first, the things that will allow you to execute on projects, what you realize is that you can start getting paid to code much faster than you probably ever thought because you haven't set this idealistic, unattainable bar for yourself to reach before you allow yourself to take paid work. You can start now when you can execute on a deliverable, when you can complete a a single project, when you can create a contact form or a business website, when you can execute on that, you can start. And you could start then building the life that you wanted that you got into this all for the in the first place. Instead of continuing to slave away at some job making somebody else rich. Anyway, you can learn these skills in my free course, The Beginner's Guide to PHP, which you can enroll in at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. And it's going to teach you these foundational skills so you can get started right now. Again, it's a completely free course that you can take at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. Don't wait on this. Head over there right now and get started building that life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. All right, let's get into some of your questions. So this one comes from Zick cranks on YouTube and says most everyone says at the bare minimum you must know HTML CSS and JavaScript for web development what the heck is no if I can validate forms with JavaScript do I know JavaScript or do I need to write a new version of Photoshop with pure JavaScript to know it of course when I ask for some examples of projects that can demonstrate what knowing JavaScript looks like they inevitably start having a seizure and have to be rushed to the ER. So frustrating. For the past six months, I have been studying JavaScript for four hours a day and still don't know if I know JavaScript. Comfortable with basic animations, DOM manipulation, objects, functions, etc., etc. I welcome any seasoned vets out there that are willing to help me gain a little perspective on this. That is, of course, if you don't mind a trip to the ER. (laughs) All right. So I I kind of find this funny, and I'm going to guess that he's probably going to take this answer that I'm going to give as a trip to the ER, but I think this happens to be truth, the, the truth, and that is, this is the problem with worrying about what other developers think, right? You start to, you start to think about or care, what does it mean to know JavaScript? Who cares? Who cares what I think or some other random person out there thinks? What does it matter? There really isn't any well-defined set of skills that determine you know JavaScript. It's not like I can say to you, well, if you know these 15 things, then you know JavaScript. Right? Even if uh, you could say that, well, what does know each one of those skills really mean? Like, what is the individual things that you, like, if that's, how if if that's the way you're approaching this i think that's completely wrong headed because if you ask 100 different developers you're going to get 100 different answers there's going to be some person who's going to comment on this post inevitably and be like duh these are the 20 skills that you need to know it's so obvious and then there'll be someone who replied that and go yeah well what about this one and what about that one and then somebody else will reply and say well you don't need to know that and we'll just go on battling back and forth all day that's why no one gives you a clear answer. Because, again, we could debate it all day. And two, what does it matter? Who cares what everybody else thinks? Okay, What matters, what's important, what you care about, is can you deliver for your clients or your boss or whoever you're building stuff for? Can you deliver an end result? This is why I talk about end results all the time. Clients... You know, bosses, people that you're building stuff for, all they ultimately care about at the end of the day is the end result. Now, yes, again, there's an element of making sure the code that you're writing is written well. That's more about you and maybe other developers you work with. 
right? It affects the client in a certain way because of how the application ultimately works. But at the end of the day, they're not going to know or care necessarily about how it was written. They're only going to care about what they see and how it works. So you could write it really, really well, but if it works like junk on the front end, they're not going to care that your code was written really well. So again, it's, it's the trap of caring what all these other people think instead of caring about what you think and what the people you're building stuff for thinks. Nobody else matters. Not me, not the random YouTube commenter. It doesn't, those people don't matter. It's between you, the people you build stuff for, and the person you got to look in the mirror every day. If you're satisfied, if they're satisfied, and you can get up in the morning and look yourself in the mirror and not feel like you're doing your clients or the people you work for a disservice, then <laughs> who cares what everybody else thinks? You're going to spin your wheels and drive yourself crazy worrying about what other people think. So that's my answer. I don't know if you consider that a trip to the ER, but hopefully that gives you some perspective on what should really matter when it comes to all that. And that goes for any language, not just JavaScript. All right, the next question comes from Brandon D on YouTube. It says, hey, John, love your channel. Great, insightful videos. I've been doing a lot of research on web development and it's definitely a career I want to get into. I've been learning HTML and CSS, thinking front end was more the route I wanted to go. Uh, versus the back end. But after working on it, I've started to notice how much I like the design aspect of it. Working with colors, uploading pictures, trying to design logos, or making the font stand out. I really enjoyed that. So I was wondering, as far as design is concerned, which coding languages would be good for that? And is the money still there? From my research, developers make a lot more money than designers. Like you said, find your niche and master that. I know there's a lot of developers, designers, and creating a website encompasses both but I'm not sure how they go about it. Just wanted to get your thought on that. Thanks. So I brought this up. Actually, I was having a conversation with somebody else over on YouTube and kind of clarified this for me a little bit, but I wanted to bring this up because I think the term web designer has become somewhat of a meaningless term. And I mean that in the sense that it doesn't really describe anything in particular really, really well. It's kind of a vague term and really the term web developer is kind of a vague term and what those things meant say 10 years ago is really a lot different than what they mean now or it's more muddled now than it was back then so back then a web designer was some was someone who knew html and css and maybe javascript and also knew probably graphic design and the design part of things and so it really was a, a both person I really think that that has split these days. And so I think the term web design or web designer has split into really a more specialized group of graphic designers who are people who are good with Photoshop. They know color theory. They they know about, uh, you know, spatial, uh, I don't know, <laughs> spatial science and how to position things and enough white space and so forth, all that stuff. There are people that are into that that kind of thing. And they may or may not know how to code. I know graphic designers who build who design websites for people who outsource the coding part of it. The client doesn't know that, but they come to that person, that graphic designer to have a website built. The designer themselves actually designs it and then they outsource the code to somebody else. They get that code back and they give it to the client. So I know graphic designers who who do that kind of thing. I also know web designers who or or web developers who um they outsource the graphic design part of it. So they get someone to do the design part for them and then they get that back and then they actually build the code, the front end code, maybe some back end code, whatever. They actually build that part of it. So I think there is a real distinction. I, I get there's people that do both, but I think when we're looking at the different kind of positions that are out there, I think there is now a really clear distinction between a graphic designer and a front-end developer. And so when you're looking and doing your research, it's important to know that distinction. And then obviously there's also a back-end developer and then what you would call a full-stack developer who knows both front-end and back-end. 
So again, when you're doing your research, it's it's important to understand those distinctions between graphic designer, front-end developer, back-end developer, and full-stack developer. I think if you started doing your research using those terms versus web designer, web developer, today you would get a little bit more clear on exactly what the market is. And so to answer your question, you know, your research really ought to be in, from what you've said, it sounds like you're more into the graphic design part. So when you're doing market research, that's really where it ought to be. Instead of instead of searching web design, which is really kind of now more front-end development, you really ought to be looking into more specifically graphic design. Now, a lot of graphic design is going to be designing websites, but also logos and messing with colors and the stuff that you mentioned. And I think when you, I'm purely going off a hunch here, but I think if you do your research in graphic design specifically, you'll find that there's still a pretty lucrative market for that kind of thing out there. In fact, again, my hunch, probably even more so than it's been in the past, simply because people have started to understand that how something looks, whether it's your website, your app, your logo, whatever, we all, whether even though we've been told not to do it a hundred times, we tend to judge a book by its cover. And so graphic design, having, you know, a really nice looking design for whatever it is you're building has become more and more important and people realize how important it is. And so there's a focus on it. So I would guess that that market's doing probably even better than it's been uh, in the past. Now, there is some things, some monkey wrenches that you can throw into this stuff. So for example, you you have people who are UI or UX specialists. Now, you know, again, it, you can maybe go back and forth of, is, does that person focus on the design part and actually designing the UI and the UX? Or do they get into the coding part of it? They might do both. They might do one or the other. What's the market there? So that can throw a monkey wrench into there. That can be a specialization that certain people have. You might have see people that are like conversion experts. So they're more on the marketing side of things. It's not necessarily how it looks, uh, look and feel wise, but it's how it looks conversion wise, how well that, if it's an opt-in page or a sales page, how, how well it converts. You have people that spe can specialize in that. So there's a number of different niches that you can then get into as a graphic designer or a front-end developer, back-end developer, etc. So you kind of got to figure all of that that nuance out, but that's kind of the game, right? That's kind of when we talk about finding your niche, that's what that's what it is. It actually should be exciting to know that there's all these different places that you can kind of go and test and really find something specific that you just absolutely love and enjoy and want to really dive into. So Hopefully that gives you some more insight into your question. At the very least, some different avenues to approach and some different research that you can do in figuring out what you want your niche to ultimately be. All right, that'll wrap it up for this show. I want to thank you again for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to like it so that I know that you like this kind of content. If you know somebody who'd benefit from hearing this, I'd appreciate it if you'd share it with them. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.